Section twenty nine of a half century of conflict. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A half century of conflict by Francis Parkman. Chapter sixteen, part two. Both Assiniboines and Christineau declared that there was a distant tribe on the Missouri called Mantanes, Mandans, who knew the way to the western sea and would guide him to it. Lured by this assurance, and feeling that he had sufficiently secured his position to enable him to begin his western exploration, La Verendrye left Fort La Reine in October 1738 with twenty men and pushed up the river Assinboine till its rapids and shallows threatened his bark canoes with destruction. Then, with a band of Assinibuan Indians who had joined him, he struck across the prairie for the Mandans, his Indian companions hunting buffalo on the way. They approached the first Mandan village on the afternoon of the 3rd of December, displaying a French flag and firing three volleys as a salute. The whole population poured out to see the marvellous visitors, who were conducted through the staring crowd to the lodge of the principal chief, a capacious structure so thronged with the naked and greasy savages that the Frenchmen were half smothered. What was worse, they lost the bag that held all their presents for the Mandans, which was snatched away in the confusion and hidden in one of the caches called cellars by La Verendrye, of which the place was full. The chief seemed much discomposed at this mishap and explained it by saying that there were many rascals in the village. The loss was serious, since without the presence nothing could be done. Nor was this all, for in the morning La Verendrye missed his interpreter, and was told that he had fallen in love with an Assiniboine girl, and gone off in pursuit of her. The French were now without any means of communicating with the Mandans, from whom, however, before the disappearance of the interpreter, they had already received a variety of questionable information chiefly touching white men cased in iron who were said to live on the river below at the distance of a whole summer's journey. As they were impervious to arrows, so the story ran, it was necessary to shoot their horses, after which, being too heavy to run, they were easily caught. This was probably suggested by the armour of the Spaniards, who had more than once made incursions as far as the lower Missouri but the narrators drew on their imagination for various additional particulars. The Mandans seem to have much declined in numbers during the century that followed this visit of La Verendrye. He says that they had six villages on or near the Missouri, of which the one seen by him was the smallest, though he thinks that it contained a hundred and thirty houses. As each of these large structures held a number of families, the population must have been considerable. 
Yet when Prince Maximilian visited the Mandans in 1833, he found only two villages, containing jointly 240 warriors and a total population of about a thousand souls. Without having seen the statements of La Verendrye, he speaks of the population as greatly reduced by wars and the smallpox, a disease which a few years later nearly exterminated the tribe. La Verendrye represents the six villages as surrounded with ditches and stockades, flanked by a sort of bastion, defences which he says had nothing savage in their construction. In later times the fortifications were of a much ruder kind, though Maximilian represents them as having pointed salients to serve as bastions. La Verendrye mentions some peculiar customs of the Mandans which answer exactly to those described by more recent observers. He had intended to winter with the tribe, but the loss of the presence and the interpreter made it useless to stay, and leaving two men in the village to learn the language, he began his return to Fort La Reine. I was very ill, he writes, but hoped to get better on the way. The reverse was the case, for it was the depth of winter. It would be impossible to suffer more than I did. It seemed that nothing but death could release us from such miseries. He reached Fort La Reine on the 11th of February, 1739. His iron constitution seems to have been severely shaken, but he had sons worthy of their father. The two men left among the Mandans appeared at Fort La Reine in September. They reported that they had been well treated and that their hosts had parted from them with regret. They also declared that at the end of spring several Indian tribes, all well supplied with horses, had come, as was their yearly custom, to the Mandan villages to barter embroidered buffalo hides and other skins for corn and beans that they had encamped to the number of two hundred lodges on the farther side of the Missouri, and that among them was a band said to have come from a distant country towards the sunset, where there were white men who lived in houses made of bricks and stones. The two Frenchmen crossed over to the camp of these western strangers, among whom they found a chief who spoke or professed to speak the language of the mysterious white men, which to the two Frenchmen was unintelligible. Fortunately, he also spoke the language of the Mandans, of which the Frenchmen had learned a little during their stay, and hence were able to gather that the white men in question had beards, and that they prayed to the master of life in great houses, built for the purpose holding books, the leaves of which were like husks of Indian corn, singing together and repeating Jesus Marie. The chief gave many other particulars, which seemed to show that he had been in contact with Spaniards, probably those of California, for he described their houses as standing near the great lake, 
of which the water rises and falls and is not fit to drink he invited the two frenchmen to go with him to this strange country saying that it could be reached before winter though a wide circuit must be made to avoid a fierce and dangerous tribe called snake indians jeans du serpent on hearing this story la verendrye sent his eldest son pierre to pursue the discovery with two men ordering him to hire guides among the mandans and make his way to the western sea but no guides were to be found and in the next summer the young man returned from his bootless errand undaunted by this failure pierre set out again in the next spring seventeen forty two with his younger brother the chevalier de la verendrye accompanied only by two canadians they left port la reine on the twenty ninth of april and following no doubt the route of the assiniboine and mouse river reached the chief village of the mandans in about three weeks here they found themselves the welcome guests of this singularly interesting tribe ruined by the smallpox nearly half a century later but preserved to memory by the skilful pencil of the artist charles bodmer and the brush of the painter george catlin both of whom saw them at a time when they were little changed in habits and manners since the visit of the brothers la verendrye thus though the report of the two brothers is too concise and brief we know what they saw when they entered the central area or public square of the village around stood the mandan lodges looking like round flattened hillocks of earth forty or fifty feet wide on examination they proved to be framed of strong posts and poles covered with a thick matting of intertwined willow branches over which was laid a bed of well-compacted clay or earth two or three feet thick this heavy roof was supported by strong interior posts the open place which the dwellings enclosed served for games dances and the ghastly religious or magical ceremonies practised by the tribe among the other structures was the sacred medicine lodge distinguished by three or four tall poles planted before it each surmounted by an effigy looking more like a scarecrow and meant as an offering to the spirits if the two travellers had been less sparing of words they would doubtless have told us that as they entered the village the flattened earthen domes that surrounded it were thronged with squaws and children for this was always the case on occasions of public interest and that they were forced to undergo a merciless series of feasts in the lodges of the chiefs here seated by the sunken hearth in the middle under the large hole in the roof that served both for window and chimney they could study at their ease the domestic economy of their entertainers each lodge held a gens or family connection whose beds of raw buffalo hide stretched on poles were ranged around the circumference of the building 
while by each stood a post on which hung shields lances bows quivers medicine bags and masks formed of the skin of a buffalo's head with the horns attached to be used in the magic buffalo dance every day had its sports to relieve the monotony of savage existence the game of the stick and the rolling ring the archery practice of boys horse racing on the neighboring prairie and incessant games of chance while every evening in contrast to these gaieties the long dismal wail of women rose from the adjacent cemetery where the dead of the village sown fast in buffalo hides lay on scaffolds above the reach of wolves the mandans did not know the way to the pacific but they told the brothers that they expected a speedy visit from a tribe or band called horse indians who could guide them thither it is impossible to identify this people with any certainty the two travellers waited for them in vain till after midsummer and then as the season was too far advanced for longer delay they hired two mandans to conduct them to their customary haunts they set out on horseback their scanty baggage and their stock of presents being no doubt carried by pack animals their general course was west-southwest with the black hills at a distance on their left and the upper missouri on their right the country was a rolling prairie well covered for the most part with grass and watered by small alkaline streams creeping towards the missouri with an opaque whitish current except along the watercourses there was little or no wood i notice says the chevalier de la verendrye earths of different colours blue green red or black white as chalk or yellowish like ochre this was probably in the badlands of the little missouri where these coloured earths form a conspicuous feature in the bare and barren bluffs carved into fantastic shapes by the storms for twenty days the travellers saw no human being so scanty was the population of these plains game however was abundant deer sprang from the tall reedy grass of the river bottoms buffalo tramped by in ponderous columns or dotted the swells of the distant prairie with their grazing thousands antelope approached with the curiosity of their species to gaze at the passing horsemen then fled like the wind and as they neared the broken uplands towards the yellowstone they saw troops of elk and flocks of mountain sheep sometimes for miles together the dry plain was studded thick with the earthen mounds that marked the burrows of the curious marmots called prairie dogs from their squeaking bark wolves white and grey howled about the camp at night and their cousin the coyote seated in the dusk of evening upright on the grass with nose turned to the sky saluted them with a complication of yelpings as if a score of petulant voices were pouring together from the throat of one small beast 
on the eleventh of august after a march of about three weeks the brothers reached a hill or group of hills apparently west of the little missouri and perhaps a part of the powder river range it was here that they hoped to find the horse indians but nobody was to be seen arming themselves with patience they built a hut made fires to attract by the smoke any indians roaming near and went every day to the tops of the hills to reconnoitre at length on the fourteenth of september they descried a spire of smoke on the distant prairie one of their mandan guides had left them and gone back to his village the other with one of the frenchmen went towards the smoke and found a camp of indians whom the journal calls les beaux hommes and who were probably crows or apsaroka a tribe remarkable for stature and symmetry who long claimed that region as their own they treated the visitors well and sent for the other frenchmen to come to their lodges where they were received with great rejoicing the remainder mandan however became frightened for the bohom were enemies of his tribe and he soon followed his companion on his solitary march homeward the brothers remained twenty-one days in the camp of the bohom much perplexed for want of an interpreter the tribes of the plains have in common a system of signs by which they communicate with each other and it is likely that the brothers had learned it from the sioux or assiniboines with whom they had been in familiar intercourse by this or some other means they made their hosts understand that they wished to find the horse indians and the bohom being soothed by presents offered some of their young men as guides they set out on the ninth of october following a south-southwest course in two days they met a band of indians called by them the little foxes and on the fifteenth and seventeenth two villages of another unrecognizable horde named pioya from leverendry's time to our own this name villages has always been given to the encampments of the wandering people of the plains all these nomadic communities joined them and they moved together southward till they reached at last the lodges of the long-sought horse indians they found them in the extremity of distress and terror their camp resounded with howls and wailings and not without cause for the snakes or shoshones a formidable people living further westward had lately destroyed most of their tribe the snakes were the terror of that country the brothers were told that the year before they had destroyed seventeen villages killing the warriors and old women and carrying off the young women and children as slaves none of the horse indians had ever seen the pacific but they knew a people called jean de la arc or bow indians who as they said had traded not far from it to the bow indians therefore the brothers resolved to go 
and by dint of gifts and promises they persuaded their hosts to show them the way after marching southwestward for several days they saw the distant prairie covered with the pointed buffalo skin lodges of a great indian camp it was that of the bow indians who may have been one of the bands of the western sioux the predominant race in this region few or none of them could ever have seen a white man and we may imagine their amazement at the arrival of the strangers who followed by staring crowds were conducted to the lodge of the chief thus far says la verendrye we had been well received in all the villages we had passed but this was nothing compared with the courteous manners of the great chief of the bow indians who unlike the others was not self-interested in the least and who took excellent care of everything belonging to us the first inquiry of the travellers was for the pacific but neither the chief nor his tribesmen knew anything of it except what they had heard from snake prisoners taken in war the frenchmen were surprised at the extent of the camp which consisted of many separate bands the chief explained that they had been summoned from far and near for a grand war party against that common foe of all the snakes in fact the camp resounded with war songs and war dances come with us said their host we are going towards the mountains where you can see the great water that you are looking for at length the camp broke up the squaws took down the lodges and the march began over prairies dreary and brown with the withering touch of autumn the spectacle was such as men still young have seen in these western lands but which no man will see again the vast plain swarmed with the moving multitude the tribes of the missouri and the yellowstone had by this time abundance of horses the best of which were used for war and hunting and the others as beasts of burden these last were equipped in a peculiar manner several of the long poles used to frame the teepees or lodges were secured by one end to each side of a rude saddle while the other end trailed on the ground crossbars lashed to the poles just behind the horse kept them three or four feet apart and formed a firm support on which was laid compactly folded the buffalo skin covering of the lodge on this again sat a mother with her young family sometimes stowed for safety in a large open willow basket with the occasional addition of some domestic pet such as a tame raven a puppy or even a small bear cub other horses were laden in the same manner with wooden bowls stone hammers and other utensils along with stores of dried buffalo meat packed in cases of rawhide whitened and painted many of the innumerable dogs whose manners and appearance strongly suggested their relatives the wolves to whom however they bore a mortal grudge 
were equipped in a similar way with shorter poles and lighter loads bands of naked boys noisy and restless roamed the prairies practising their bows and arrows on any small animal they might find gay young squaws adorned on each cheek with a spot of ochre or red clay and arrayed in tunics of fringed buckskin embroidered with porcupine quills were mounted on ponies astride like men while lean and tattered hags the drudges of the tribe unkempt and hideous scolded the lagging horses or screeched at the disorderly dogs with voices not unlike the yell of the great horned owl most of the warriors were on horseback armed with round white shields of bull-hide feathered lances war-clubs bows and quivers filled with stone-headed arrows while a few of the elders wrapped in robes of buffalo-hide stalked along in groups with a stately air chatting laughing and exchanging unseemly jokes end of section twenty nine